Thank you so much. Have a seat for now. This has been a fantastic uh, week. We've shared over at uh, the Harvest, HIM, Harvest International Ministries. I am the U.S. Director of HIM under Dr. Cheon, and I, I serve the uh, U.S. churches uh, and, and minister to them and encourage them and a consultant to them to help them grow and to move forward. And it's an honor to do that. And so I was thrilled when, when I was asked about 10 days ago to change my plans and come, come down to uh, Brisbane and be a part of the HIM conference. Sadly, my wife was left behind. It wasn't a rapture or anything, but, but uh, she was left behind to care for our, our two moms that we cherish. And uh, she had some other things that she needed to do there at our home. So uh, she sends her love. Uh, she is probably up praying right now at 2 in the morning. She's probably praying, knowing her. And by the way, I have 550 intercessors that are committed uh, to be a part of our team. They have to commit to pray daily for us. So they are praying for you right now, 550 people. More people in this room that are in this room uh, are praying at the glory, the favor, the blessing, the anointing of heaven upon you. Is that okay? So... Uh, we're blessed. We're thrilled to be here. Our love for Tom and Catherine and your family is just, uh, it's, it's real and it's heartfelt. Uh, we cherish you. And can I thank all of you for loving your pastors? On behalf of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and Abba, can I thank you for your pastor's appreciation offering that you took for them and just the way that you love them? it's proper for you to do this. It's really a good thing to honor those who serve you. The Bible tells us that those who lay their lives down for us, that we are to honor, respect, and even uses that naughty word, obey. So it's good that we follow our leaders and you knit your hearts to their vision, and that will move this congregation forward. So thank you for uh, the, the generosity and the kindness you've shown to your pastors. It's awesome. Let's see, anything else I want to say? Oh, I know, I know something I'd really like to do to start out, if you don't mind. I'd like to have rapture practice. I like having rapture practice. So let's stand. I know you've been up and down. Uh, you can keep your shoes on and everything, but get ready. The heavens are about to open up over you tonight. Everybody say, I'm not a know-it-all. But I know I love Jesus. And I'm starting to think... That he really loves me too. So lift your hands. Get ready for liftoff. Father, I ask in the mighty name of Jesus that you'd open up the sky right now over Brizzy. Lord, that you would release the cascading of the angelic realm into this room. Let lights, glory, splendor, majesty, jaw-dropping visitations take place now. Release now, 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 right now, your glory in Jesus' name. Don't pull out. Stay in it. Come on. This is rapture practice. If there is one, we're going to practice it. Lift your hands up. Hey, sweetheart. Lift your hands up. More, Lord. More, more, more. I want to prophesy over this house. Every time I come, I, I you know, and... Today, it was the last minute. I didn't get this word until just tonight. I was sitting right here, 
but it came very clearly. Other times I've had supernatural dreams, but I want to prophesy to you that there is coming a powerful move of the Spirit among children. And as a token, as a sign that God is doing this, there's going to be some... some uh, uh, let's see, how can I best say this? There's going to be a baby boom in this church, says the Lord. Baby booms are coming. Get the nursery ready. They're coming. And there's going to come six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve year olds. And here's who they're going to be. They're going to be artists, musicians, poets. And s- there is coming to this church a child prodigy. You're going to have a child come into this house, maybe here already, that is going to be gifted in creative arts. Is going to shift the entire culture in the realm of creative arts. You're going to be blessed by God with young children that are anointed, filled, and blessed. Is, who's, who's over the children's ministry here? Get ready. Some of you saying, some of you, you know, young, a little bit younger than me people, uh, you're, you're thinking, I'd like to have a family. Right? I want to have some kids. Uh, well, as a matter of fact, I'd like to have two kids. God says double it. Some of you said, well, I'd like to have three kids. God said double it. Some of you said, I'd like to have five kids. I want a big family. Ha, ha. You watch what God does. Explosion of children is coming to this house. Now, that also means there's going to be maybe some wedding bells going on. But God's going to do it. This is going to be known as the church to go to. If you, if you want to have children, if you want to get married, you want to come to this church. The singles are going to flood into this house. I, I see even right now the angel of the Lord coming into the room right this moment. Beginning to touch And whisper into the ears of young couples, saying, go for it. Love is in the air, baby. It's time for baby, baby. There's a a fertile, supernatural grace that he's going to put on this church. Now, I prayed this. I got this word over a church, I have to tell you, three or four years ago. They now, and this is a church much half this size. And they have 25, 30 babies in their nursery. And they're going nuts. I mean, everybody's in the nursery taking care of babies. That's going to happen here. So get ready. Candace, you're going to be very busy with children. Some of them may be your own. Oh, about half of you are still wondering about that. You watch. You watch what God does. God's going to do some wonderful things. I prophesy to you every single need this church has, God's going to meet it at the right time and in the right place. Give him a great big shout before you sit down. He loves you. Oh, how he loves you. He absolutely, totally loves you. And I heard from the presence of the Lord Jesus himself, I, he told me what he really loves about you. Everything. Tell the person next to you, he loves everything about you. I'm still working on it. 
Okay, have a seat and uh, turn in your Bible to Hebrews 11. I'm a Bible teacher. Is that okay? I like to prophesy. I like to cast out demons. I love to see people healed. I've gone into trances. Angels have visited me. I I like the the whispers of the night. I love all of the supernatural things. And you need to understand that, uh, you know, you really are connecting to a supernatural God. Wherever you have put the limitation, it's about to get blown off. He's going to lift the lid. He's going to blow out the walls and the limitations. Well, God can't do that. Oh, yeah? He who sits in the heavens laugh. If you want to make God laugh, just tell him all the things he can't do anymore. Ha, ha, ha. Are you kidding? I have Genesis 1 on my resume. My bio has miracles, resurrection, the Red Sea parting, feeding my people for 40 years out of mystery Manna, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want to. The Lord has spoken to me in the past and said, I will not observe your traditions. I will not be limited by your doctrines that limit me. I will be limited by the truth, the veracity of my word, because he's faithful and every word he speaks is true. But I will not be limited by your opinions of my word. So, it's good to trash your idols and to trash your opinions because what's about to hit the earth is going to be so glorious that scoffers are going to fall in his arms and saying, the half was never told me. The glory of God is going to hover over Brisbane. The great south land of the Holy Spirit is going to experience a tsunami wave, a glory wave Get ready to ride the giants. Get ready to ride waves that are ten times higher than what you thought they were going to be. What's coming boggles the imagination. It's like all of the power of the book of Acts and all of the miracles of the book of of Exodus rolled into one and then multiply it times ten. That's what's coming to a church near you. You say, well, you prophesied that the last time you're here. You know what? I'm going to prophesy it until you pry this microphone out of my my hands because I believe it with all my heart. I have enough faith. I believe. I'm trusting. I'm living for this, for the day of visitation, the day of great expectations being fulfilled. So did I tell you where to turn yet in your Bible? Hebrews 11. Anybody know what Hebrews 11 deals with? Oh, you guys are so anointed. Hebrews 11, verse 8. I want to speak tonight about the father of our faith. It's not Billy Graham. The father of our faith. Billy Graham's a wonderful man. But the father of faith is Abraham. And faith pleases God. So it's going to please God if you copy your father. And if you walk in the faith of Abraham. We all want the faith of Abraham. We just don't want the journey it takes to have it. But it says in Hebrews 11, verse 8, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed. He went, even though he did not know where he was going. Verse 9, By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger. In a foreign country. He got his promise fulfilled, but he still lived in tents. 
He still lived in a tent, even though he got his inheritance. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents. And Isaac and Jacob, his sons uh, and and grandson, likewise, they were heirs with him of the same promise. Verse 10, he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. May the spirit of wisdom and revelation enlighten our hearts to the fullness of the faith of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, we're going to use Abraham tonight, and I'll keep it short because some of you look like you're a little bit tired. Some of you need a cuppa to stay awake. And, but I think the Holy Spirit can caffeinate your heart as I share these things tonight. I have stumbled across something in my walk with Jesus and my study of the Word that is an amazing template. It's an amazing pattern a model that I have found in the Bible that so far, without fail, can work and is seen in every single hero of the faith. Let me try to say it better. God is raising up daybreakers, deliverers, people who are going to shake the status quo Christianity in this nation. Young adults and those young at heart are going to be raised up and anointed with supernatural grace to shift the culture, the society, even the church, into the flaming hearts, heart of God. They're called deliverers. The Bible is full of deliverers. There were 12 judges that, that correspond to the 12 apostles. 12 apostles in the New Testament, 12 judges in the Old Testament. The book of Judges is the apostolic book of the Old Testament. But beyond the judges, we have Abraham. We have Moses. We have David. We have Joshua. We have the great champions of the faith. In the New Testament, we have John the Baptist. We have the 12 apostles. And today, we have you. And as I share this model, I think it fits like a perfect match your journey. And as a test case, I'm going to walk you through Abraham. And let's just see if these five stages of maturity are not true in his life like they are in your life. Could I tell you those five stages? The first one is a supernatural beginning. With every deliverer, if you are being marked by God to change the world, to be raised up in your generation as the sons of Issachar, they know the times and seasons, they're raised up to change and shift their culture. If you are a deliverer, you will have a supernatural beginning. I challenge you to go back to your birth. And ask your parents about your birth. I would venture to say that 90% of the people in this room, there was a miracle attached to your birth. It could be the name of the city you were born in or the name of the hospital. It could have been you were premature and people said, the guy's not going to make it. Or they may have said that about you. But if you will inquire of your parents if you're able to do that, if they're living and and you're able to inquire. But even if I'm missing it on that regard, you have a supernatural beginning because you are born again. You are born from above. The Spirit of God, the Ruach of Yahweh, came upon you and breathed supernatural life in you. Every person in this room is supernatural because you have a supernatural birth and a supernatural king lives in you. 
Now, I happen to have been born in Eureka. Eureka! That's where I was born. And my father and my mother were fishing at the time. I'm shocked that my dad would take her out pregnant like that on the riverbank to fish. But he was a fisherman at that time of his life. And she went into labor, and they could not go to the hospital, so I was born in a house. They had to take me to a house, and, and there was no doctor there. I was born totally out of timing. I was born totally... Uh, unexpected, so to speak, while they were fishing. Well, that tells me, hallelujah, I found it. I'm from Eureka, and fishing is evangelism, and that's the secret longing of my heart is to win a million people to Jesus. And and I could go on and on, but it it doesn't matter about me. It's you that I want to talk about. I want you to think for a moment of your birth and pursue that thought. And don't give up just because you say, oh, no, not me. I think you're going to find your parents may have even had a word from God about you. They may not even be Christians, but there was still something supernatural. I'm telling you, every deliverer has a supernatural birth. Gideon, you know, he, he was one of the judges. And he was, uh, his, his uh, father and mother were barren. They had no children. An angel came and visited them. What about Isaac? Supernatural birth, right? And what about, uh, what about John the Baptist? What about uh, an angel coming into Zechariah while he's in the middle of having a nice church service in the Holy of Holies, in the holy place, and, and Gabe pops in. The angel Gabriel manifests right in front of him. Ah! And, and tells him, you're going to have a kid. He couldn't believe it because he was old. His wife was as old as he was. God can do anything. A supernatural birth. So that's the first thing I want you to consider. The second is a failure. Everyone who's called to be a deliverer is going to have a miserable history of a failure that humbled your heart. David. Moses. Let's take Moses. Mighty Mo. What was his failure? He knew God had called him. He had a supernatural birth, by the way. He was spared supernaturally. He was placed as a little infant, as a three-month-old baby. Can you imagine mothers doing this to a three-month-old baby? You make a papyrus ark basket out of papyrus reeds, and you, you cover it inside and out with tar to keep the water out. And the Hebrew word for tar or pitch is actually the word kafar, which means atonement. Atoning blood kept that ark from sinking. There's three arks in the Bible, Noah's ark, Moses' ark, and the ark of glory. All of them have blood attached, and all of them speak of preservation and glory. So Moses, the worst place you could put Moses is in the front of the palace of the king who wanted to kill him. And Jochebed, Moses' mother, her name is Jochebed, she put this ark into the water Nile, into the Nile River, where they were throwing babies. They were throwing babies to kill them in the Nile. Infanticide. Pharaoh was committing infanticide. And Jochebed put baby Moses right in front of the palace, floating down in this ark right there, where they swim and where they bathe. But what happened is when the daughter of Pharaoh lifted the lid to that basket, bassinet or basket, an angel pinched Moses at that time. Wow, wow, pick me up, please. It's cold in this water. Wow. I'm sorry, I don't do a very baby, good baby cry. But So Pharaoh's daughter picked up baby Moses, held him to her breast, 
and said, Daddy, can we keep him? Better than a kitten, you know? Daddy, can we keep this little baby? He was spared supernaturally. What was Moses' failure? He killed a man thinking that the people of the Hebrew people would recognize him as their deliverer. He tried to make his ministry happen. There's people in this room, you're trying to make your destiny happen. It always brings failure. The only thing you do is let God raise you up. It's his timing. It's his business. We exalt ourselves. There's a fall coming. There's a failure coming. We humble ourselves. He raises us up in perfect season. The perfect time. And the fact that we've not been raised up yet vindicates his delay in exalting us. So, a failure. Let's take Abraham as our test case. The God of glory appeared to Abraham. Acts 7 verse 1. The glory God appeared to this man. Now, Abraham, or Abram at that time, was an idol maker. Historians tell us that Abram and his father were the, were the chief idol makers of a city, a major city called Ur in Chaldea, which would now be, it's actually, I've done the research, it's the city of Basra in Iraq. So Abram was an Iraqi. He lived in, near Basra, current day Basra in Iraq. And God appeared to him. The God of glory unveiled himself. Not since he came and walked with Adam and Eve had the God of glory appeared to a man. God unveiled himself to this idol maker. And we don't know all of what happened, but apparently it was so supernatural that, that Abram gave his heart and, and yielded his soul and, and said, you will be my God. I think if the God of glory appeared to you, that would be a really smart decision, you know. Like if you live through the situation, live through the event, you might want to follow this God. He had a supernatural beginning. What was Abraham's failure? The second phase of every deliverer's destiny on their journey towards fulfillment and calling and, and uh, their full inheritance. The second phase is a miserable failure. What was Abraham's failure? Well, the Lord appeared to Abraham and told him to leave and take nothing with you. Don't take your father. Don't take your family. Don't take your uh, anything. Don't take your nephew Lot, which he did anyway. So Abraham's failure was he disobeyed the full call of God on his life and he ended up dragging with him what we know to be about 500 people <laughs> because he had 318 men who were trained as servants in his, in his uh, entourage that later rescued Lot. But I hope you're still with me, but I want, I want you to know that Abraham, instead of leaving everything behind, he packed up the trailer, called all of his friends, got his whole family and his tribe, and they all took off together. And God said, no, Abe, I just wanted you. So that failure caused a major delay in Abraham's destiny. Some of you are being delayed right now in your calling, your inheritance, your destiny before the Lord because you've missed what he told you to do. And with, with Abraham, he ended up going to a place called Haran, H-A-R-A-N. Everybody say Haran or Haran. It's a Syrian city. It's in Syria. Haran means a dry place. So God said, leave and go into the promised land. Abraham left and went about three days journey out to a dry place and stayed there for 25 years until his father died. 
God says, leave everything. Abraham said, I'm going to take everything. Abraham's father, does anybody know his name? Terah. Who said that? Good. I just want to acknowledge your brilliance, sir. Abraham's father's name was Terah. Can I give you the Hebrew meaning of the word Terah? Delay. Lagging behind. He delayed his destiny. Can you mess up and fail when God tells you to do something and delay the timing of your destiny? Uh, Everybody over 50 said yes. I'm not quite there yet, but uh, next year. You can delay the timing of God. You're not wiser than He is. Whatever He says to you, do it. That's what Mary said about her own son, Jesus, at the wedding of Cana. Whatever He says to you, do it. So that's the second phase. It happened with David and Bathsheba. It happened with so many people that have a, a calling. A major calling on your life does not mean you will have no problems. Did I say that in English? The higher your calling the higher the probability that your preparation is going to be more thorough than you want. And it will take longer and it will, do, uh, it will be more detailed than you would ever choose. The third phase of your stepping into your destiny in this template that the Lord has given to me is a wilderness. First, it begins with a supernatural beginning. Your life started off with a bang. Hallelujah. Glory. Praise Alula. It's wonderful how you started out. You may have been to Bethel. You may have been to the glory school right here. You may sit under one of the most anointed churches in the city like this one right here. But that doesn't mean you may not pass through a wilderness. This is probably the least favorite teaching I will ever give you. Next time I come, we'll do the Shulamite kissy stuff. But... I really felt from the Holy Spirit that this was a rhema word for this, for this house. Now, there are ten named wildernesses in the Bible. Ten. Ten specific wildernesses that are named that you pass through from your calling to your destiny. From the moment you are called and God's hand comes upon you and grips you for purpose and destiny, from then until the fulfillment, there are wildernesses you pass through. I don't have time to, to develop all of this. I am writing a book on it. It's called Miracles in Your Wilderness. 99% of the miracles in the Bible were all in a wilderness, not in a church service. And, uh, you know, even in the natural realm, God has in the earth, he, has, he created deserts. He created the wilderness. He created the outback. I can't wait to ride uh, a motorbike out to Uluru. Uluru. How do you pronounce it? Uluru? Yeah, I'm going. I'm going to put some Vegemite in my, in my back, back pocket. I'm going to wear my, uh, what is it? That's right, I'm going to wear that. And uh, I'm going to put some Tom Toms? Tim Tams. I'm going to put some Tim Tams in my pocket. And crank up a bike and go out there. And I want to see Ayers Rock. I want to get out there someday. So if I'm missing an action, you, that may be where... You bury me. I don't know. But there, God creates beauty in the wilderness. There, you know, He makes the wilderness blossom like a... You didn't get it. He makes the desert or the wilderness blossom like the... Rose. Okay, let's try it again. He makes the wilderness blossom like a... Hey, so you know the Bible. 
It's in the book of Isaiah. I believe it's chapter 35. He makes the wilderness to blossom. He sends springs in the wilderness. You know, you go through the valley of trouble in that dark valley, yet he's going to take you through the other side. The wilderness is not your home. It's a a, a thing you pass through on your way to your destiny. If you think you can go to the fullness of your destiny and never have a failure or never walk through a wilderness, somebody has lied to you. Somebody has distorted the truth. As soon as Israel came out of uh, Egypt by the mighty hand of God, the first thing they did was go to a wilderness of Shur. Shur. I like to affectionately call it, yeah, Shur. Now, Shur is the Hebrew word for wall. You ever feel like you got your back up against a wall? You ever feel like there's a wall between you and your calling financially, relationally, geographically? When is it going to happen? And, and the first thing Israel had to face was the wall. Well, I'm going to stop there. I've got a, a lot I want to say yet tonight. But the wilderness is a valid component of your spiritual maturity. God has taken me through a wilderness. I have lived in a wilderness for eight years. I'm talking about no running water, no flush toilets, no Coke Zero, no Tim Tams. Did I say that right? It was hard. I found that the wilderness, I may be in a wilderness, but the wilderness doesn't have to be in me. No matter where you go, you bring the spring. You bring the well. You dig the well. You bring the refreshing. I may pass through a difficult situation in my life, but I don't have to absorb that pain. I don't have to absorb the dryness because I don't want to live in Haran. I want to live in the promised destiny of the highest calling of my life. So it's very common for you who are called with a high calling. The higher your calling, the more this is real to you. And some of you are really listening because you know it's your life. But the higher the calling, the more you will experience the sifting of God on the threshing floor and in the wilderness. God will, you know, he has, he's, He's in too deep to pull out now. You are his plan A. There is no plan B. You are the perfect one to accomplish the good works, Ephesians 2.10, that he has designed and destined for you to do. No one else can do those works but you. So, therefore, his preparation will be thorough. His timing is impeccable. He's never yet made a mistake. You thought he did a hundred times, but a hundred times you had to come back and say, the Lord is good and his goodness endures forever. He knows better than I do. He's a perfect papa. He's a perfect Abba and a loving father. And if I need to pass through a wilderness, then there's a lesson I can glean and learn. And I can dig my well in the middle of that dry spot. And I can still be refreshed and become a fountain of blessing to other people. It's amazing, isn't it? The real authentic Christianity is when you see a brother or a sister go through a difficult situation and they don't give up. The joy of the Lord is in their heart. They're still strong. They're still standing in faith and nobody's going to knock them down. That, to me, is authentic Christianity. It's not being driven to a meeting in a limo, you know, and, and having the, the highest uh, billing. It, it's finding God in the difficult situation. When people don't believe in you, they don't think you have it. When you, when you, who are you to think you can do these things? You know, But yet when you stand faithful and you stand strong and you dig a well in your desert, then you still experience the fullness of God. Then you come out on the other side 
you have learned lessons that you can't hardly even talk about, but you live it out because it's real now in your life. Abraham went through that wilderness. He went through that season where he had to delay. He he had to walk through the difficulties. You know, just to think about Abraham for a quick second, Abraham had no burning bush to inspire him. He had no tablets of stone to guide him. He had no Ark of the Covenant as a centerpiece of his worship. Abraham did not have a temple to go to, a Torah to consult, a Bible to read, a priest to counsel him. Abraham didn't have a pastor to pray for him, a prophet to prophesy over him, or a multitude following him telling him he's neat and cool and wonderful to affirm him. He, by faith, he stepped out on nothing but the sheer raw word of God. I have a, a, a very feeble attempt at translating what God said to him. This is, uh, forgive me, this is not in print yet, but this is my translation of Genesis 12, 1 to 3. God speaking, I want you to get out of this place, Abraham. Leave it all behind. Your family, your possessions, your livelihood, your inheritance, your security, your plans, your hopes, your dreams. Release them all to me. I'm sending you somewhere you've never been. You're going to do something no one has ever done. Move on out. And as you do, I will go with you. Concerning your destination, I'll let you know when you have arrived. Your part is to go. My part is to know. Do whatever I tell you, whenever I tell you, wherever I tell you, however I tell you. I will help you, and by following me, you will become a father whose seed will be used to create and guide many nations. And your lifestyle will always be the pattern for my people. You'll become a tremendous asset to everyone, and if someone helps you, I will help them back. But if someone tries to stop you, I will stop them. That's my promise to you, Abraham. So after being visited by the Lord, he had a choice to make. And Abraham made the right choice. Finally, did I tell you it was 25 years at, at, uh, at Haran? He waited 25 years before his father died. And it took that long for Abraham to cut and sever the tie with the natural realm. And I'm not making a statement about your family or your or any relationship when I'm saying these things. What I'm speaking is the spiritual principle that you cut the tie to all this world has to offer. There's got to be an absolute surrender to an absolute sovereign God. There has to be an absolute yielding to the most terrific and powerful being of all the universe. He demands everything. You cannot expect a full-time blessing with a part-time commitment. There must be a yielded heart to Him. Not when you feel like it, but when your eyes are open and when your eyes are shut. When you are happy and when you're not. When you have what you want and when you have nothing. There must be that yielded brokenness in our soul that says God plus nothing is the motto of my life. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. There must be the carrying of the revelation of the cross in our life. We can't be half-hearted lovers and expect the bridegroom's full passion toward us. There are measures of God that are never discovered by the lukewarm and and the indifferent. The duplicitous ways of men have to be yielded and broken by God as we come to Him with a wholehearted desire to say, It's me, Lord everything in me. 
And if there's anything I'm holding back from you, you have every right to go and, and, and threaten the, the thing that's holding it back and to dismantle any stronghold in my life, any lie that's telling me that it's wrong to give you everything and that I'd somehow end up not having what I want if I give everything to you. He has to have that right to come in and mess with us, so to speak, and to, to grip our heart so that we live fully, completely for one. Whether we are honored or whether we are disgraced, whether we are promoted or whether we're ignored, it doesn't matter when, when we know the one whom we believe in. I love that scripture. Paul says, I know him in whom I have believed. I know this one. And I'm, I'm ready to give Him everything. For the God who began a good work in me, He will finish it. He will complete it. When I'm weak, He's strength to me. When I'm wrong, He's life and love and, and correction to me when I need it. Are you with me, folks? God is calling this church to a high level of ministry in the city. And many of you right here before me, you have such a glistening, glorious calling on your life. Some of you have not even become a Christian until uh, this year. This was the year, 2013, when you gave your life to Jesus and you became a follower of the Lamb. You're a brand new Christian, but I'm telling you, Jesus is putting His love on you. He's calling you. He's telling you there's something greater than just sitting in church, even though we love church. You know, Pastor Catherine and I, we love churches. This is our calling to feed you, to equip you, to strengthen you. But there's something greater, that there's a calling on your life that, that is not given by men. It's the sovereign God. Some of you had dreams and visions of God using you and flowing through your life. Hold on to those dreams because the timing is coming. Your release is at hand. So the fourth phase. First is our supernatural beginning. The second, and, and you're going to go back and look at your birth and you're going to investigate further and you're going to find tokens of love and secrets and beautiful mysteries that are wrapped around you because you are a work of God. The second is a failure in our life. Don't look now, but you have a few of those in your life. There's one or two. And that leads us into a wilderness. We get this great calling. We fall flat on our face. And then we wonder, when in the world is it going to happen? God is so famous for doing it at the last minute. He's so famous for 11.59, you know. You know, God, you've got to do this by midnight. You've got to do this by 12 noon. Well, 11.59 and 59 seconds. He says, all right, bam, there it is. He wants to see if we love him enough that we, we're not holding on to our timing, but we're holding on to him. You see, you can know the will of God and miss his timing. You can know perfectly God's will for your life and plan. And run off and try to do it on your own, and, and it will never happen. The timing of God is in His hands. The times and seasons have been given to Him. We're not to be ignorant of them, but yet, ultimately, we do not hold on to our prophecies. We hold on to Him. He is greater than any prophecy we've ever had. He's greater than any dream, vision, or, or what everybody tells us. Well, you're gifted to this. You should really go and do this. That's really great they're telling you that. But what's God saying? What's the Lord saying to you? Your friends are always going to tell you what you want to hear. You know? I mean, it's maybe you got a rare bird that will, that will tell you everything that, that grates against you, and you're tempted to trash them and walk away from them. They may be God's greatest gift to you because they expose our heart and the impatience and the impetuosity of our lives. 
I'm talking fast, but I think you're getting this, aren't you? So the fourth one is an encounter. Divine encounter. It's not all a wilderness. It's not all about your failures. It's all about an encounter with God. And I promise you, my friend, I, I, I see this template in the scriptures and and now I'm I'm getting to teach this in different places to encourage people that this is your story, this is your life. And the higher your calling, the more real this five phases. And and I, I, I found it with David. You know, he started out in Bethlehem and then he went to Gibeah. And then he went into the wilderness. <laughs> and then he was anointed king, but only partially. He only got one twelfth of his destiny. And then finally, all of the brothers crowned him king in Jerusalem. And he ascended the throne and brought Israel into the highest levels of glory that, that they'd ever tasted. And Solomon even built on that and established the, the, uh, the temple and the worship of God. So you have an encounter coming. God is about to encounter you. You say, I'm really in a wilderness Hot diggity, dog diggity. I'm glad to hear you're in a wilderness. You know why? Because that means you're in the third phase. You're about to pop into an encounter. And in the encounter, God says, okay, now's the time. So the Lord came to Abraham. He was struggling. He was like, when is this going to happen? He and his nephew, Lot, they argued and they fussed. Lot was selfish. You know, Lot thought the anointing was on him when the anointing was really on his uncle. And he said, well, I'm just going to pull. I'm going to split. I'm going to have a church split here with Abraham. I'm going to pull off because I'm really anointed. No, he wasn't anointed. He was getting blessed off of Abraham. He was getting the residue from Abraham. So he pulled off and he said, I'm going to go, I'm going to go over here where, where it's real fertile. And Abraham said, go ahead. I'll give you half the flocks. I'll keep half the flocks. You go to the one direction. I'll go the other direction. And that way there'll be peace between us. Well, guess what? Abraham had a lot to lose. God told him in the first place, don't take him. Some of you are dragging a lot with you. and You need to leave a lot behind. And because you insisted on taking this relationship that God never ordained, but you're going to take this relationship because you want it and you need it and there's some insecurity in you that that relationship fulfills, I'm telling you, it will rise up to bite you. And until you, get, you lose the lot you, you need to lose... You will not enter into your destiny. And then you know what happened? Guess where Lot went? What was the name of the town he ended up settling near? Sodom. Man, did he pick the wrong place. Picked the wrong hood to go live in. It was just not the place at all. And Abraham later rescued his wayward nephew. Abraham went and fought kings to rescue his nephew. Melchizedek came out to meet him. Melchizedek was Jesus. It was a a pre-incarnate revelation of Jesus Christ. He was the priest of the Most High God. Had no beginning, no genealogy, no ending. Out of the shadows appears this mystical man named Melchizedek. And Melchizedek offers him all of the wealth of Sodom. Because he took back what the enemy had stolen, he overtook, pursued, and conquered... And he brought it back to Sodom. That's so amazing. What a story. Abraham was a deliverer. He rescued people that were messed up. And then the king wanted to reward him. And what did Abraham say? 
Anybody know what Abraham said to Melchizedek? Yeah. He said, I don't even want a shoelace. I don't even want one dollar of all the wealth of Sodom. I will not take any of it. So that no one would say, a man made me wealthy. A man enriched me. I want my wealth to be in God. That night, he had an encounter. And God said, because you would not take the rewards of Sodom, I will be your great reward. I will be your reward. And from that moment on, the prophetic promise was activated in Abraham's life. And it was like uh, just grace everywhere. And everything God had ever promised Abraham suddenly just unfolds right in front of him. I mean, it's like walking in the cream and the butter. He's just oiled by God. Oil dripping off of him, the anointing of the Holy Spirit everywhere. Everything Abraham touched multiplied. And he took the promised land. The fifth is your ministry of power. What starts with a supernatural beginning will have a supernatural power ministry in the end. The path to a supernatural power ministry goes through a wilderness. And you need an encounter. And God then will anoint you, equip you. To use the old King James word, he will endue you with power. I like to be endued. Endued. Endued me, Lord. With power to do the miracles you want me to do. How many of you would love to be a person that raised the dead, converted nations, saw Iran open up to the gospel, and saw the beauty of Christ hover over people groups, language groups, the orphans, the widows, the broken, the most needy of humanity, that we could be a voice, we could be a life-giving voice, a loving touch. How many of you would like to be a deliverer like Moses, a deliverer to deliver a million people like Moses did? That's amazing, isn't it? Anybody? I hope this helps you. Because he's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Abraham is faith. He's the God that will increase your faith. Isaac is sonship and inheritance. He's the God that will equip you in the sonship and the inheritance of the fullness that you need to have. And he's the God of Jacob, the God of transformation. Even the wayward Jacob in you, he's going to make into a prince with God. He's going to transform you. He's the God of faith. He's the God of sonship. And he's the God of transformation. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, wherever he went, he pitched a tent. He dug a well and he built an altar. He lived in tents. He built an altar and he dug a well. That's the story of your life. We do not connect to this world. Our world this world is not our final resting place. The eternal realm, the Colossians 3, we seek the things that are above because Christ has been uh, taken there at the right hand and our life is in Christ and we're now hidden in God in that heavenly realm. That's why we yearn and long for the realities of that kingdom. We live in tents here on earth. Abraham lived in tents. Somebody tell me what the, the Apostle Paul made. Paul was the Abraham of the New Testament. He lived in tents. Abraham. Paul made tents. He was a tent maker. So Abraham lived in tents. He built an altar. Wherever you are, build an altar. Build an altar. Can I go another two minutes? Or you want to... 
there's something really, there's revelation if you want it. It's Genesis 12. Go quickly, and I'll talk real fast. I'll talk real fast if you'll turn real fast to Genesis 12. Hallelujah. Praise Alula. Glory to God. Shishkababaluskis. Okay, Genesis 12. Verse 8. Well, in, in verse 7, you see the Lord appearing to Abraham and to your offspring and says, I will give you the land. So he built an altar. You see, whenever God appeared to Abraham, he built an altar. Whenever God does something in your life, build an altar. Sink an altar right there and say, I'm, I'm never going to forget what God has done to my life. I'm never going to forget that 42 years ago he delivered me from drug addiction and pain and and the darkest evil of a man's heart. He did that to me on August the 8th, 1971. I built an altar. I'm never going to forget what he did for me. And, And I could go on and on about the miracle of our daughter who was healed from a snake bite in the jungle. I could talk about how he rescued us when we were drowning in a river flood in the middle of a of a rainforest with nobody there to help us. I can tell you about the times he provided for us when we had no food, we had no money, we had nothing but a prayer. And he supernaturally provided food for my family and for us. I could tell story after story of my own life and history. Build an altar. Wherever God moves in your life, build an altar. Don't forget it. Write it down. Tell your kids about it and your grandkids. Let them know what God did for granddad. And he also dug a well. So there it says in verse 8, from there he went on toward the hills. He he was always going higher, wasn't he? East of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. Is this prophetic or what? Bethel on one side, Ai on the other. Bethel is the house of God. Ai is a heap of ruins. The Hebrew word for Ai is a heap of ruins. The Hebrew word Bethel is the house of God. He was right between a heap of ruins on one side and the house of God. A heap or a house. He's choosing between one or the other. And God has many of you in that place right now on your Abrahamic journey. You're looking at your life and you're parked in a transition moment. On one side you have the house of God that's calling you. And on the other side you have a heap of ruins that is alluring you. Which will you choose? Choose well. Take the house of God until you become the house of God. And Abraham did. He chose Bethel and he built an altar at Bethel. Skip over a generation and his grandson named Jacob. Many years later, Abraham had been buried. Many years later, Jacob, fleeing from Esau, his estranged brother, he goes to Bethel. He goes to his grandfather's altar and he picks a stone off of that altar at Bethel. A stone that had been anointed by his grandfather. Oil of God. Where where Abraham erected this altar and said, I will serve you. I will never go to the house of ruins. I will always walk in the house of God. I will be a walking revelation of communing with you. And he made that altar of worship before God Almighty. He passed away like every one of us will one day. But his grandson, Jacob, stumbles in at dusk, picks up a stone from that altar, makes it his pillow, puts his head on that stone, 
and enters into the heavenly realm and gets his grandfather's promise, pulls it into the earth as angels go up and back down. I'm telling you, you need to put your head on that anointed stone. You need to put your thoughts, your mind, your emotions, your, your future and your destiny, put it on that anointed stone of Bethel. And God will open the stairway. He will open that, that escalator. He will open up the destiny for you like never before. God has great things ahead for this church. Most of you have such anointing on your lives. You are so called of God. I just about have to wear sunglasses. Your destiny is so bright. I'm getting blinded by the light of God on your lives. And I mean it. You guys are so anointed. This is one of the most beautiful places my wife and I travel to. We absolutely love Brisbane, but more than that, we love this church. We love Glory City Church. We love what God is doing with the young people. We love what He's doing with the worship. We love what He's doing with the evangelism. And we so love our beautiful Iranian friends that are being introduced to the power and the glory of God through your lives. It's so awesome what's taking place. So don't give up. Don't grow weary in your journey. Whatever phase you're in, it's soon to change. So just stay faithful, my friend. Stay faithful. Your encounter is coming. Your day of visitation is coming. And your miracle power ministry is right around the corner. Would you stand and let me pray a Father's Prayer over you? Thank you for coming tonight. I want to just pray a few things. I'll turn the service back over to Pastor Catherine. And then we'll all go out and have a cup of and see a baptism. Glory. How many of you would say, Pastor Brian, I I really feel like there's a call on my life. There's a calling on my life. I don't, you know, forget about whether I'm there or not, or if I even fully know it. Abraham just, he just had to go out. He was told he had to go, and God would reveal it to him. Is there a calling on your life? Most of you. That's so beautiful. Now let's get personal. How many of you would say you, you got a failure or two in your past and it brought a wilderness into your life and you feel like you may be stuck right there in a, a wilderness setting knowing that there's something more ahead? About half of those that first raise their hand. Okay? That's good. So, Father, I pray for encounter. I pray that we would so surrender to you that we surrender our timetable, our calendar, our opinions of how you should work in our lives, of when, how, where, and that we would absolutely lay it down in the flame of God and say, I am yours, Lord. If you want me to live 100 years, 150 years, I want to live every breath, every day for you. If you choose to take my life, I want you to take my life, but I want to go out loving you, kissing you, holding you dear to my heart, and loving the people you set around me. But every day, Lord, I want to give it as a gift to you, as a love gift, at the beauty of every sunrise and the splendor of every sunset. I want both of them to testify that I love you and that I walked with you through that day. That's what the Lord wants more than anything else, to be faithful lovers, to be servants of the cross, to leave the timing in His hands, and to let God be God. He is the potter. And we really are the clay. So, Father, bless each destined, beautiful, glorious daughter and son in this house. And I release a Father's blessing over them. 
that this will encourage them, not discourage them, even though it may trouble them for a, a few moments, that it will encourage them that the next season will bring them closer to your heart. Bless each one, Lord.